Blog Talk Radio. We're Introduction by Ellen Goldfield and Rooftop Revolutionary, Sick, Tired, and Wasted, always at the front end of my show. Glad to be here with everybody. Special broadcast of I Take Liberty with my coffee. And it, it, it's so important. This is something that we have to talk about. I'm, I'm very happy to have as my guest today, Manar Mahavish from Mint Press News, editor-in-chief and founder of Mint Press News and the host of behind the headlines, and, and it's important what we're going to talk about. Oh, we're going to cover a number of subjects, but the, the number one thing we're going to talk about is what's been happening to journalists lately on the front lines, trying to get news stories, boots on the ground, and all the arrests that have been going on recently in the Dakotas, Iowa, Washington State, and then, of course, around the world. This has been going on around the world. The way the United States is behaving in that regard. And there was a recent conference, uh, actually an anniversary, 40-year anniversary, of, of an organization called Project Censored, which was founded by the, the great professor Carl Jensen at Sonoma State University. And, and I don't think a lot of people know about it because we're so focused on mainstream media. But my guest today had the pleasure of, of, of running a panel discussion with some other colleagues of ours. Abby Martin, of course, was on it. And I want to get her take on this stuff. And, and she's already with us, and I, and I want to bring her in right away. Uh, good afternoon, Lenar. How are you? It's great to have you back on my show. Hey, Bobby. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. You, you know, I, I, and we know we're all busy, and I know you're busy and pressed for time, and I want to get right into it with you. And, and, you know, for those of you who don't know, I mentioned earlier that Lenar is the editor-in-chief and founder of Mint Press News, one of the premier independent news agencies that we have, alternative, independent, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it, not mainstream media. And, and again, Minar, I'm glad for you to be here. And I want to get right into Project Censored to start with and how that panel, uh, talk about the panel and how that panel became uh, important to what's going on in our society right now, if you'll jump right in. 
Well, it was a really great event um, this weekend. It was the Project-Centered uh, Media Freedom Summit, and it was also it just so happened to be Project-Centered's uh, 40th anniversary. And the whole, I mean, the event takes place every single year, but this year was especially special because we really focused on the attack on journalists here in the United States um, as as uh, since the Obama administration has taken office, we have basically embarked on this new era in this country um, where we've seen an unprecedented attack um, on journalism in the United States and in journalists as well. And so we had really amazing speakers like Abby Martin from the Empire Files, uh, myself. Um, we had Mark Crispin Miller, who is a media critic and a media right. expert. And then we had uh, David uh, Talbot, was the uh, original founder of Salon, and what we all had in common is that we have been censored, and we have been attacked, and we have been smeared, and we've all uh, been basically um, caricatured, I guess you could say, uh, by a lot of these corporatist neocon uh, journalism establishment um, as pro-Russia, pro-Assad, or whatever you want to call it, or conspiracy theorists. Because of our endless coverage, of the war on terror, exposing the military-industrial complex, and for questioning uh, 9-11, for uh, providing alternative coverage on the war on Syria. And so all of these things combined, we thought it, was re it would be really great to have us as speakers for this panel. Um, they invited us, and, and it turned out to be a really, really great conversation. I and mean, we talked about from media censorship to the Russia-phobia to the circus that is our uh, election that's taking place right now. Yeah, I want to get into the election a little bit later. You know, you, you, in listening to you, one of the things that came to my mind is, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little bit older than you, and I remember <laughs> when at least we, ha we, at least we had the facade of real journalism. You know, I, I was, I was a child in the '60s, and and I became, you know, so I'm here. I am going into the '70s. Vietnam War is going on, and there, there was a lot more. I don't know, expose uh, and investigative journalism going on that seemed to be hard hitting, you know, and certainly now that I've investigated a lot of this stuff, you know, a lot of it, you know, I could get, would go on anything to do it, but a lot of it was really good. And it's almost like my generation, you know, in the fifties and older, my generation is, is set that, well, since we had that sooner, we, we don't, we know that these are the trusted people. We know that Fox, you know, we know Chris Wallace has been around for a long time. We know that, that, Right. Chris Matthews has been around a long time, and, and you know all these guys. So they must be telling the truth because, of course, we know at one time they did. And yet, <laughs> of course, from our experience and what you guys are continually exposing, what I am continually exposing, as we all are, that's just not the case anymore. How how did you, the, the panel and, and yourself? Uh, what are you, how do we change this? How do we let people know? Please look at least further than what you're already doing so you can understand what's really going on. Well, I think a lot of these figures, and not all of them, of course, but let's use Vice, for example, who, what that is, this, mm. uh, which was talked about actually at the panel. But Vice and a lot of these new millennial um, organizations, like you talked about the old media, but let's talk about the new media, which is really changing the face sure. of journalism. Um, you know, we have Vice, we have BuzzFeed, we have Vox News. These are all millennial uh, generation uh, type of news organizations, a lot of good clickbait on there. And um, within them, there are actually a lot of really good journalists. But um, And so we don't want to dismiss that. But at the same time, right. a lot of these organizations, like, like uh, Vice News, is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Um, they are uh, very much peddling Cold War rhetoric, and a lot of their journalists do have ties to the neocon establishment uh, to a lot of neocon military think tanks. And a lot of times in their coverage, they are pushing um, very much pro-war, uh, very Islamophobic rhetoric. Of course, this is used to justify um, the wars in the Middle East and Africa and pushing right. our military up ahead, up against, the, uh, up against the Russians. And so we are seeing now this kind of even more sophisticated form of propaganda where these you know, millennial magazines, millennial news sites that are literally uh, generating, you know, millions and millions upon millions and millions upon millions of views per month 
um, to target millennials and change their perspectives and be able to influence their thoughts and their perspectives on uh, the world and politics. These people are, who are normally anti-war, who are normally, you know, socialist or leftist, as you could say, or anti-establishment, now those very same millennials, you find them parroting Cold War rhetoric. You find them parroting very right. homophobic uh, rhetoric, and so this is a really dangerous time. And so you, we, you know, Mark Crispin Miller, who was on the who was on the panel with us, he's actually written and studied extensively about the CIA infiltrating media. And I have no doubt that a lot of these pretty faces that we're seeing today, who might sound really nice and convincing on camera, um, could very much have ties uh, to the government. As we saw with Amber Lyon, who came out as a whistleblower from CNN and said, sure. hey, a lot of those correspondents who are out in the Middle East, you know, high in their uh, hotels covering the Iraq war, covering what's happening in a lot of these war zones, those are actually working for the CIA. So it's no surprise here. Amber Lyons, you know, that, 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 that obviously we both know her. Amber Lyons' story really puts a period on, on the eye of what you're talking about so much because it is, it is a prime example of, I mean, literally, it, the CNN International is being paid by Qatar for positive spin on everything that comes out of there. And we know, anybody that's paying any attention, is Qatar is one of, one of the more human rights violators that are in the Middle East without any help from anybody, and then, of course, they're getting help from us. And, and, mm-hmm. that is, and here we have a three-time uh, Emmy, Emmy, Grammy, Emmy, Grammy. The grand, it's a Emmy. Three time, three time, three I think it's Emmy. I think it's Emmy. Right, right. So we have a three right. time, right? A three time Emmy winner, somebody who who has no ceiling on the possibilities of her career, who wonderfully, from uh, an integrity standpoint, walks away because, of course, they're trying to silence her from telling the truth on on doing an expose on the human rights violations that she's seeing right in front of her. And this right. just happened. I mean, we're talking about something in the last decade. So uh, when people listen to what you just said, for example, about the CIA, you know, you're talking conspiracy theory right out the window. Well, I have to say, I'm sorry, people, but I, I as I mentioned, I'm a little bit older, and this is exactly what happened in the 70s to the movement. You can even tie this to, for example, the prohibition, the cannabis prohibition issue with the way Nixon had had decided to use it to undermine the war effort and the minorities and any dissidents by creating such a, a prison industrial complex. So people, please understand that what we're saying here is real, and all you have to do is pick up the phone that you have in your hand that has endless amounts of information and look it up, and it's there. I, 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 I just have to say that because you're, you're talking gospel to somebody who totally understands where you're coming from, Menard. Right. You know, so also I noticed, uh, and, I, and I, I think I knew about this from before, but irregardless, uh, that the judges at Project Censored had declared that one of your articles, I believe it was, has, was subject to the censorship. And, and I, know for, you know, I, mean, I know for a fact, I've seen it and you've discussed it, we've discussed it, that you have been attacked by mainstream media in, in a number of ways. Talk a little bit about what it is that you were writing about and how the censorship went about and, and what was your response to it? Yeah, it's a really, really long story, but Project Censored, I'll go into the Project Censored part first, but Project Censored actually mm-hmm. rated um, our reporting on Syria that exposed the kind of economic interest and in, uh, oil and gas pipeline uh, competition in Syria as the number uh, eight censored story in the mainstream media, which was really, really a great honor for us because we had been reporting on the crisis in Syria since the get-go. Um, even right. before the yes, crisis in Syria had even started, we were actually reporting on groups like ISIS, um, like what, almost five years ago. Before, you know, ISIS only came to the service, what, about maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago? Uh, we knew about ISIS. Correct. They were operating in Iraq. Um, about, you know, five years ago, right after the U.S. pulled out of Iraq, they were actually responsible um, for a lot of those suicide bombings in Iraq. And part of their mission actually was to go and enter Syria to take over and uh, basically overthrow the Syrian government. And so we had known this was happening for a very long time. 
And, of course, when we were reporting this, no one wanted to listen to us uh, because of the way the mainstream media has covered uh, the crisis in Syria. It was a sectarian war against the bad dictatorship, and um, you all of a sudden saw these very leftist organizations, even Democracy Now!, even some of the most notorious leftist organizations kind of parroting these war narratives to justify regime change in Syria. And so um, just a couple of years ago, um, the U.S. was ready to launch an attack on Syria to fulfill that regime change. And um, in the city of Ghouta, we had al-Nusra Front, al-Qaeda, which is now openly, the Pentagon has said they're openly arming and funding al-Nusra Front, um, three years ago, right. Al-Nusra Front was responsible for one of the worst chemical weapons attacks on civilians in Ghouta. And so we had provided that coverage that challenged this mainstream media that it wasn't the Assad government, not that they weren't committing, you know, crimes and it was a war. Right, they must have. Right. But it was just that these Al-Qaeda rebels uh, were the ones who were perpetrating this chemical weapons attack. So Assad didn't cross that red line. It was those rebels <laughs> that our allies were right. openly arming and funding. And so when we had provided this coverage, the celebration was very much short-lived, but immediately um, our journalists who covered the story were intimidated by the Associated Press. They were attacked by the Associated Press, and that's because they were stringers from the press and the Associated Press. Um, they right. were attacked by the media. You know, we were labeled and smeared. Uh, my image, my picture was plastered all over the Internet, uh, thanks to BuzzFeed, next to the picture of Bashar al-Assad as, you know, an Assad agent. I remember. And so, I remember. Yeah. And so, when, so, you know, censorship, you know, when we talk about censorship, it doesn't just come in the form of not covering a story or a story, you know, going un- unreported by the media. It also comes in these silencing tactics, these character assassinations, that journalists like myself and others um, endure to discredit the story because that's why we were attacked. It was, in essence, to discredit our reporting on Syria and to discredit our newsroom and to discredit all of our journalists covering the story. And so it was really a great thing that Project Center allowed us this weekend to share our story and the struggle that a lot of journalists face when they do uh, put everything on the line. They risk everything to challenge war narratives um, and so, I mean, it was a really great feeling to be able to do that. And, and, you know, again, you raise a number of issues in there, and one of the things that jumped right out to me is we used to applaud that in this country. There was a time when, regardless of the overall general narrative and how accurate it was, we used to applaud as a society proper investigative journalism, regardless of the source. You know, there are so many, there's so many, Richard Engel comes to mind, for example, in his career, he has had some very good uh, investigative reporting, and, you know, and I won't comment on where I think he is now, for example, again, another other group. But here is something, and, and then, of course, you're talking about, like you said, stringers, and then you, an independent journalist who was just getting started with your own narrative and, and press news, for example, and you're drawing the attention of these people. You know, and it, it reminds me of the, the saying, doubt or protest too much. You know, here, here's these big guns coming after this little guy because they're telling the truth. That's not how it used to be. It used to be, wow, look at they've exposed. Let's take it and run with it. And that doesn't happen anymore because, of course, and we, you know, people, if, if you don't get how politically tied the media is to the two major parties and to Washington, you're really not paying attention. You really are. And I don't care what you watch, <laughs> MSNBC, Fox. ABC, you're just not getting it. You know, the, the CNN thing, you know, a lot of people forget that when Ronald Reagan became president, which, of course, he, he, he made an activist out of me back then, but when Ronald Reagan became president, CNN became 24-hour news. It happened literally at the same time. And you can track the way the media has gone down the tubes really from that point as fast as it did and how, and how it would jump in bed with politicians and how – Instead of reporting the news, they were trying to tell us how to think. Is that how you? That's how you're looking at this? Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I use the example of Vice, and that really, uh, you know, that example kind of echoes around the entire uh, leftist mm. media. And of course, I, you know, I specialize in in, in, in leftist media, so I know that what, what mm. how the leftist media has been co-opted. And the same thing has happened, of course, to um, you know more conservative media as well. And so. Mm. You know, a lot of the libertarian movement has been co-opted into this, like, Donald Trump, uh, you know, this right-wing, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, movement that perpetuates racism and violence, but that's not what the original libertarian movement was about. And the same thing is happening now with um, the left-wing uh, media. We see Democracy Now!, which is has a lot of really, really great coverage, but, um, you know, they, you know, the way that they cover um, the crisis in Syria, the crisis in, in Libya, the crisis with Russia, it might as well be coming from the State Department. I mean, they're not really exactly. going far enough in challenging this. Now we have uh, leading news organizations like The Intercept, which I had a lot of hope for, and now they mm. are perpetrating the same narratives on yeah. Syria. I saw it, and I have it. Yeah, it's really, really ridiculous. And I have a great you know, amount of respect I, for Jeremy oh, Scahill particularly. And, and and I'm sorry, I, I I just wanted to mention, when you mentioned The Intercept, yeah, this got under my skin, too. I have a great amount of respect for Jeremy Scale. He spent a lot of time exposing uh, the dirty wars, as, you know, as, as his book and his his uh, uh, documentary, the, our Academy Award-nominated documentary. And yet, as you mentioned, it, The Intercept's dialogue now, is, is it's like they're selling something, particularly in this election. And it's really, it's crazy. And it happened fast. I mean, they, they haven't been around that long. It's, it's I'm sorry. So go ahead. I didn't I had to jump in and do that because I'm I'm with you there. I'm no, that's no, and that's okay. And you make a really good point. Is that you know there's a lot of really great coverage still coming from the Intercept, and there's still a lot of really great coverage coming from Democracy Now. And I was just using those two as an example. And even Vice News, that I used as an example before, has a lot of really great journalists like Molly Crabapple or um, you right. know Molly's um, great. Right. Or yeah, and other and other over the national security state. So I don't mean to dismiss all their coverage, but when it comes very specifically to foreign policy, we really have to question uh, the motivation behind these organizations' coverage. Um, And I think, you know, part of the reason that we have to focus on foreign policy is because even with these these new millennial organizations, they make the same mistake of, you know, kind of presenting these war narratives through an Orientalist view that, you know, Muslims in the Middle East must be backwards. They oppress women. And while that's, you know, that does happen in the Middle East and, and everywhere around the world, even right here in the United States where we have some of the highest rates of, you know, sexual abuse and harassment and rape of, of young women on college campuses, we have to remember that these issues all stem to an economic war. And so, and I think if we look at it from that perspective, we can maybe fix that, you know, have a paradigm shift in the way that we see a lot of this coverage uh, coming from these organizations. Well, yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you know, I've said for a very long time, and you know, you may may have heard me say this. I don't know, but I haven't seen you in a while. But the, <laughs> I believe that the world itself is more sexist than racist. For example, you know, they, they and and again, it, the underlying economic thing, it, it's just another division that goes out there. But I really, when you look at it, the religious aspects of it, societal aspects of it, just as a world in general, and this country is a great example of that, that sexism is nuts before you even take it to religion, just the natural male-female gender aspects and the way men behave is just nuts. And it is unfortunate, though, that that is the most prominent thing, though it isn't unfortunate. So it's like a balancing act. Here we have all this stuff in this election, for example, which we can get into, the the... the Talking, of, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about the issues, okay? But sexism is an issue. So as much as I abhor what has happened in the last month with the Donald Trump side of that particular thing, I also don't because, you know, I, let me let, let me kind of decide. Just to jump into the election, just real quick, because I know you hate it, and that's sort of why I, I can't stand it. You know, the the greatest <laughs> thing that could happen in this, <laughs> the greatest thing that could happen in this election is obviously that the United States finally has a woman as a president. Fantastic, love it. I'm there. Sign me up 100%. Can we please change the woman, basically? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm still about, you know, yeah, I'm still about the best person possible. I don't have one, but, you know, the best person possible. But the sexism is so important here, and, and the narrative sucks. Uh, you know, when it comes to sexism, I think the narrative is just horrible in our country. And you're a woman, and you're, you're a Muslim woman, and... I could just, you know, I know your story. You know, I know your story, and you've talked about it on this show even. And it, 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 it drives me crazy. I mean, I got six older sisters. You know, I just want to punch everybody in the face basically half the time. You know, when I'm in my uncivil <laughs> uh, behavior. Uh, but talk a little bit of, just about that those dynamics because that, that there's so much to that that you, you you deal with personally every day. Are you talking about myself or with the elections? Both. 
I mean, just your view of the whole. You know, I, mean, I, I know, you, I know, you have no problem loving the fact that there might be a woman president finally in the United States. You know, just like we all had a great, great, you know, finally have a, a non-white person as the president of the United States. And you know, of course, uh, you know, Barry had lots of promise, and he just said, well, you know, now that I'm here, I just won't fulfill all these promises that I made, et cetera. And of course, we know what's come down the pipe. But as a woman itself, I mean, it's great to have the, the, that opportunity, but. Jeez, guys, <laughs> you know, look what we're dealing with here. I, it, uh, to me, it's complicated. It has yeah. to be complicated to you, I would think, yeah. Well, and it's interesting watching this rhetoric that's, you know, being attacked on Muslims constantly, that, you know, Muslim women are oppressed and they're demonized and, you know, you know, you, you, we all know the typical stereotypes that are um, uh, perpetrated against Muslim women, but then we have these two presidential candidates. One is a sexual predator towards women who has no problem mm-hmm. grabbing their you-know-what and we have uh-huh. uh, a presidential candidate uh, who is a woman who protects, you know, her husband from rape accusations who have demonized uh, the woman that her husband has allegedly raped and sexually abused. And so we have these two very anti-woman candidates <laughs> um, sitting on this pedestal in American politics claiming to, you know, you know, love women and to protect women and defenders of women's rights. It's like a total joke. And there is nobody that uh, would rather see a woman in in, uh, an office than me or somebody like you. And, and you make a really good point about that, but you know, we have other candidates to choose from like Jill Stein, who I officially endorsed a few months ago. I know Um, that. Jill Stein actually does defend women's rights. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, has has no problem bombing and overthrowing and destabilizing countries where women um, have been left without husbands that have maybe have been supporting them or have you know left these mothers as single mothers or left daughters without mothers, whatever it may be. But you know Donald Trump has no problem harassing them and sexually harassing them. But then we have other candidates like Jill Stein, who is a woman, and um, she speaks out against these. Uh, both of these candidates, their policies that are against women. And so she really truly embodies someone who is a true feminist, I guess you can say, um, who... Well, you don't have, you don't have to be right a feminist. I mean, the, the, you, know, you know, I read a very beautiful, and, and I, I'll share it with you. I, I read a very beautiful piece that was just written recently by Gloria Steinem about Michelle, Michelle Obama. It was marvelous. It was one of the best things I've written. I've written. <laughs> one of the best things I've read in a very long time, very eloquent is the word that comes to mind. And it, and it got me thinking a lot, a lot more about it. You know, and, and feminism, it's fantastic, but you don't have to be a feminist to believe that women are, are, are part of the human race and equal and can do the job just as good as anybody else. You don't even have to go that far. You know, and, and, and if we just would stop, well, I, you know, there's some Trump supporters that are, there's some friends of mine actually that have said, for example, well, here he is, 40 years in public life and no one's ever said anything like this. And all of a sudden in the last month, here comes all these allegations. And, you know, considering our, the mainstream media and, and, of course, my arguments about them all the time, I've got to take that into consideration when they say that because it makes a little bit of sense. But we don't need to do that anymore because Donald admits the stuff. And he says, I mean, it's basically a so what approach. So basically we have candidates that are dismissive to half the human race, at least out their mouth or by their actions. And it's horrid. I, I don't – and we're just perpetuating it on a daily basis. It, it's number one on, you know, sex sells. I was telling people sex sells. You know, sex sells. I, I mean, it, it's one of the biggest industries <laughs> in all – in the world, you know. So here we are, the presidential election, and what are we using to sell the presidential election? Sex. It makes me sick to my stomach, you know, and, and it leads me to – you mentioned it leads me back to foreign policy too, because you make some good points there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I tell everybody is, we don't talk enough about foreign policy, whether it's to, whether it's how the women issue is, which you mentioned, or the war at all. We don't talk much about it, and that's the thing that the president of the United States can control more than all this economic stuff. That comes from the House of Representatives. Why aren't we talking about this foreign policy? I, I, it's, beyond, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. Help me out, Manon. What do we got to do to fix that? Well, I think foreign policy is one of the the most important issues we should be talking about. Um, you know, our economy is driven by a military-industrial complex, 
And yes, as Lauren Wicklerson said, um, you know, the ship of empire is sinking when we are literally now creating wars for profit. You know, military weapons used to be manufactured so that we can fight wars with them. Now we're manufacturing wars so that we can uh, manufacture weapons to fight with them. So or use some of the ones that are sitting there ready to go. Yes. They're all, yes, and so we have this really, really amazing, endless cycle of violence taking place where, you know, our country, our administration... Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Because what you just said is really important. So let's delve into it. We are manufacturing wars in order to support the military industrial complex. Okay. So let's let's make those examples. Because Syria and Iraq are those examples. We manufacture those wars. Well, here we are. We're we're back in Iraq. Yeah. Yes, we are on the ground at the airport. At least we died. They just announced somebody had died recently at the airport, and we are boots on the ground, and we are fighting. Uh, well, I don't even know who we're fighting <laughs> at the time. Or how about earlier this year? The CIA is arming these people. The Department of Defense is arming these people, and they're fighting each other in Syria. Yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, so we are. So that is, you're, you're saying something here, people. We're talking about something here that's right in front of your face. Manufacture war. And if if you don't, if you don't know that we went to Iraq for no reason whatsoever, and it was criminal, it was about regime change. You're just not paying attention, or you refuse to know the truth. And here we are doing the same exact thing, or attempting to, with Assad. And the, 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 one of the big deals here about do, what we attempted to do with Assad is Assad, on, uh, you know, as, as much as Hussein, you know, had an army, Assad has always had an army. Syria has always had an army, mm-hmm. and, he's always, and they've always been uh, tied to Russia. They've always been allies with Russia, you know, and Iran. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. So well, you're just not going to walk into Syria unless you decide to do it in a big way. You're just not going to walk in and just throw Assad out. He's not going to go away that easily. Sorry. It's not going to happen. So here we are. We manufactured this. And we're so, and, and now they want now we want to do a no fly zone. Oh, I just don't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, this Help is no out. fly zone is literally um, the setup for the next totally. war. China and totally. Iran have already said that they are going to back Russia in this war. They're going to back Syria if the U.S. continues to escalate this war. And I don't think our uh, elect, you know, our so-called elected officials really care. <laughs> Because to them, this just means more profit. They just need, they, it just means more profits for them. Um, you know, if we look at the major neocons, uh, like the ones that come from major think tanks like PNAC, these are the ones who are working in the background to lobby the U.S. government for more war. And they could care less about the American people or the Russian people or the Syrian people or the Iranian people or anybody around the world. They just care about getting more military contracts for more conflict around the world. And uh, what's happening now in Iraq, uh, the United States is back for the third time. This is not even the second time. This is the third time the U.S. is back in Iraq um, because just a couple of, you know, a year, I think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, we went back to fight ISIS. And, of course, ISIS has grown much stronger uh, since we've uh, entered there. And now we're, you know, Mm -hmm. in there to fight, you know, in the fight for Mosul. But what we know from this fight for Mosul is that the United States is actually cleansing Mosul of ISIS, yes, but they're not killing them. They're allowing them to escape, to go right back into Syria, to wreak havoc mm-hmm. there. And there you will, just watch, in just a couple of more months, we will have another excuse to continue bombing inside Syria so that we can fight the so-called uh, you know, Islamic State or whatever the heck they want to be called these days. Right. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing, you know, I'm a veteran, as you know, and one of my job in the military when I was in the military was called an operational specialist in the United States Navy. And what that job entails is that you know, they, one of the things that was primary in my job was to identify every single weapon or weapon carrier that there is in the world, planes, jets, uh, ships, submarines. That's what my job is. And so I had, at a very young age, the knowledge of how powerful we are. So here I am now, now in my life, and, and I look at Afghanistan, for example, and these examples that we're talking about, Iraq, et cetera. One of the things mm-hmm. that I want everybody to realize and that I offer to this discussion 
is that while we're doing this, we're not really doing it from a military might standpoint. Fifteen years in Afghanistan, and yes, I know the argument that yes, Afghanistan has never been conquered, et cetera. Well, I'm sorry, people. No one with our military might has ever shown up in Afghanistan, and yet we're not using it. So if we were really about war, and yes, they've done us wrong, and we need to get in and out and fix the problem, that would be how we would fight. And we don't even fight that way, which should be a big deal to our elected officials, to the people of Washington, to our public, to expose the fact that we're just not trying to go out there and win anything. We're just trying to go out there and, and make money. I don't, I don't, I, to well, me, that's I, one of the more glary examples. Well, and I was just, I just, I think it was last year, there was a report on uh, terrorist attacks in Iraq. Before the U.S. invaded mm-hmm. Iraq, there was, I think there was one terrorist attack in the prior 10 years. And now yeah, that, that number that before, is yes. several, I think it's close to 1,000 per year. I mean, that's yes. really, really scary for the Iraqi people. We didn't go and liberate their country. We didn't go and bring democracy or freedom or safety. We literally brought them terrorism. Um, and so, and they, you know, and, we, and we'd like to say, yep. well, oh, well, you know, it was a power vacuum that we left and, and ISIS took over. Well, no, ISIS was able to go in because they're being armed by our allies. So we know, even now through WikiLeaks Hillary emails, that those weapons that she was selling to Saudi Arabia and Qatar, she knew very well that they were going directly into the hands of al-Qaeda and into the hands of ISIS. And the other WikiLeaks emails actually showed that Hillary was selling weapons directly to ISIS. So we have, like, this, like, craziness that's happening within our government um, and it's just insane that this, these things are going on, and that it's that it's completely legal and okay. I, well, well, be, well. One of the spins that we have is, well, it's just not real. It's propaganda. Russia's doing it to us. I mean, come on. You know, <laughs> Julian Assange obviously is a, is a a operative for the KGB. I guess. You know, it, it, it's oh my goodness. It's for the it, It's it, 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 <laughs> We are not allowed to be smart in this country, I guess, you know, because mm-hmm. considering how easy it is to uh, have people believe it, uh, you know, you mentioned that you mentioned some of the crass conversation. I won't use the words. I, I, I certainly out of respect for you, but you know, we, we now have women walking around in Trump's campaign with shirts on that said, yes, please grab me with an arrow. Oh, and it just makes, oh my you know, God, I didn't, I I didn't really, even know that. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I'm sorry for giving that vision to your head. But <laughs> I, I can't tell you how upset that made me when I sat. It was, I, look, I, 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 was, I was doing some work later and I was writing an article. This is probably four or five years ago, the first time I've seen it. And it's about 12 o'clock at night. My son is asleep, and et cetera. And, and I'm just sitting at my desk and I saw that and I just wanted to stop. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you actually going to be a woman and you're actually going to put that on? And, and it's well, and, and, and you can look at you know, like I said, I'm not going to. Are you kidding me? And, and and then there was a another shirt that a guy was wearing that was just this, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, so that's how we're gonna, that's where we're going to go with this. And again, of course, this keeps the deflection from the issue. So the you know the Trump campaign, for all its righteousness, mm-hmm. of course, is talking about all the you know the criminal Clinton and. Uh, well, how can you argue with that? <laughs> you know, you really can't. But Trump's a lunatic, so are we being set up? Whatever the whatever the, the thought process is, and then of course we have as we continue to talk a little bit about the election, we have that old story. You mentioned Jill Stein, who I adore. You know, Gary Johnson, mm-hmm. who I know. And we, we we've been around. We know these people, and, and we talk about the election, and you have the rhetoric that has been spun from the media. You know, for mm-hmm. example, about the Gore Bush, they used to, the raft uses the Gore Bush example in Florida as a reason not to vote for anybody else other than Hillary to keep the lunatic out of the White House. And and what's interesting about that is the truth about Florida is 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 the amount of de- Democrats that voted Republican, not the amount of Nader people who voted for Nader, that caused that thing to go upside down. Because of course, Jeb Bush was the was the governor of Florida at the time. And Florida's a big centrist state. And if you look up the numbers of how, the, how many Democrats left the Republican Party for that election, that explains the whole thing in the first place. So it's not even real, of course, again, the spin that they're talking mm-hmm. about, well, we can't vote for Joe because that will bring Donald in, or we can't vote for Gary because that will bring Hillary in. 
Whatever <laughs> happened to voting for the best person? I, 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 how is that not a good thing? But no, you got you got to fix this. How is that not a good thing just to vote for the best person? Somebody help me out. I don't know. Well, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, and this is something we talked about at the Project Censored panel, um, you know, we hear this every single day that, you know, if you vote third party, it's just a wasted vote. Or now the Democrats tell us, mm. if you vote for a third party candidate, oh, you're just making way for Donald Trump. Well, hello, mm. people. <laughs> the reason why we keep banning people like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and we have a sexual predator and a war criminal uh, running, you know, as our two major parties, because we keep voting within those parties. So how about we make a statement and we vote our conscience? Imagine, I mean, these two people, Mm. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, right now are the most hated uh, presidential candidates in U.S. history. The only reason people are voting for Donald Trump is because they want to avoid Hillary Clinton. The reason people are voting for Mm. Hillary Clinton is because they want to avoid Donald Trump, not because they actually like them or like their politics. But just imagine if, like, 38 million Americans voted for the person they actually wanted to, which would most likely be either Jill Stein or maybe even Gary Johnson or Gloria Lariva, you know, one of those three candidates. Just imagine what kind of statement that would make. That would be be the start of a revolution. Well, no no doubt. And, and of course, we, you know, uh, you know the, the comment you made is a general statement, obviously, and we both know people who, are, who actually have, you know, I know people who could sit and talk about Hillary and her career and some good things that she's done, and I, I could probably sit here and name some good things that she's done, but that's not relevant here. We're talking about who should, be le- who should, who should lead to be the leader of the free world, essentially, the alleged free world, uh, you know, the United States of America with all this power and their record, their negative record in that regard, you know, so yeah, I, it, without question, there's a lot, a lot of people doing that. But the other problem I find is the Trump voters and the Clinton voters, as usual, do not want mm-hmm. to believe that these things are real that you're talking <laughs> about with these candidates. That it's being real. I and, know. And it's, you know it's, it's like uh, it's like a screwdriver fight. You know, and, and oh, she said, you said, and they said, you said, and neither one, and let's fight about it. I mean, it, it's how do I? We're supposed to be so smart. You know, and we have all this information technology, you know, all this stuff, and they're just, t- and then you tie in sports, for example. You know, you, you talk about the election, and, and you talk about movements and activism and journalism, and then you have Colin Kaepernick uh, going down yeah. on his knee. And you have, before this ever happened, there was a story, and, and I, I think you guys may have covered it, I know you know about it, the story about how the NFL was getting paid money by the Department of Defense to do the military rhetoric, to do the support, you know, and and so this is a big deal. So now you're tying in protesting and sports because the WNBA, the women's NBA, was doing it even before anybody else was when it came to Black Lives Matter and stuff. And then, of course, you go back to even to uh, Trayvon Martin, when the Miami Heat did the hoodie thing down there. And, and, and so there have been some things going on, which I, I'm really happy to yep. see. I just, wish, I just wish more people would step out. But you see the pushback, you know, of these things, you know, the horrible pushback by famous people, you know, famous yep. politicians or private politicians. It makes me, I'm like, we know that protesting is also American. We know that it's also constitutional. We know that it's also about freedom. Freedom. And yet they're, yep. they've got us to the point where we want to hate everybody that does anything that is off the beaten path. I, I, I announce football games on Friday nights for my son's high school. And oh, nice. I, this, is my, this, is, this is my fourth year. I love it. It's, it's phenomenal. But now I announce, I announce the, you know, for example, I announced the color guard coming out. And, it's, and, and the school has an ROTC, a junior ROTC, that, you know, and they bring out their color guard. And, and then, of course, we have the, the national anthem sung and, and, and stuff. And, and, and now I'm tying all that together. What would happen right now if I decided in this booth up here that I decided to get on my knee, you know, and protest, you know, the chaos that would happen in my neighborhood as opposed to the respect of the issues, for example? Uh, I, I, I think maybe we need to help people make it more personal. What do you think about that? Well, and I think it's becoming more personal. If you actually see a lot of high schools, just like last month, we saw like this wave of high school football students who were actually standing, who were sitting down for the national anthem. And now yeah, we're seeing other, um, yeah, and we're seeing other 
uh, sports professionals doing the same thing. So I think a lot of times we underestimate that one person, that how one person can really make a difference. And, of course, Colin Kaepernick is in a really great position because, you know, he's very well known. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's uh, you know, known by millions and millions of people in the United States. So he has that um, – he can make change and he can make a difference. And so if only other um, celebrities or sports professionals, um, like we're seeing at Standing Rock, I forget, my, her name is, my mind is going blank. I just, I know her name, but it's going blank. But she, she plays a revolutionary in a lot of her movies. And she was a revolutionary in real life. And she was, she's been at the uh, North Dakota, uh, Ac- uh, Dakota Access Pipeline protest, mm. protesting hand in hand with the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters with the water protectors, right. and she's being prosecuted. Right. There's other, um, you know, Emmy award-winning, right. um, you know, filmmakers that are there on the front lines, and so we can make a difference. And a lot and, of these and they're, and they're talking about thirty years. They're talking about they're talking about charging her with crimes that have the maximum yes, time yes. to tabulate. It's forty years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Am I meeting you in North Dakota next week? <laughs> Actually, we have a reporter on the ground right now. I know His that. Name is I, know, so. I know that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah, you know I, that. I, he's, he's, he's he, the I saw that earlier. I know Derek, of course, and, and, and I saw that you guys are, are running the, the the live stream through Mid Press News. I did see that right before I, I turned on the went into the studio to do the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he so he's you know he writes for Mid Press News and he's a, he's an amazing reporter. He's a social justice activist. Yes, he is. And Great we, man. we you know man. we partnered up we partnered up with a couple of other news organizations. Um, to cover the struggle of the Native Americans in North Dakota. It's a modern-day genocide that continues to happen. You know, I know genocide is a strong word, but that's what it is. It is a genocide. No, that is what it is. Genocide doesn't just come in the form of just, you know, extermination right there. It comes through water contamination and poisoning of people, and that's what's happening to the Native Americans. But what's so amazing about these Native people in North Dakota is that they're not just protecting their water. They're there to protect the water of the, of the whole American water system. And so I think that's exactly. another message that we need. That's why we need to really stand up for them as they are standing up for the rest of the country. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, about the indigenous people. There's such a bond worldwide. I, I, I think you, I hope you saw there was a, a discussion in Laos with President Obama and when an indigenous people asked President Obama about what was happening with the Dakota Pipeline, and, and of course, mm. the, the main thing that happened during that discussion was that he said, I don't know, <laughs> which, no. which uh, yeah, but, but, they, but it was a good discussion regardless, you know, and, and, and that, you know, he, maybe you didn't know, who knows, he was in Asia, whatever, but the fact that the indigenous people did that, and I noticed that just a, a couple of days ago, the Aztecs, uh, the Aztec tribe came up from South America as well, and, and mm-hmm. Dakota. So this is something that, that is drawing people from all over the world. And yet, yes, North is. Dakota, Washington, and Iowa are all arresting journalists. Not just protesters, yep. arresting journalists and charging them with crimes. And I, you know, as far as what happened with the Amy Goodman thing, uh, you know, I, it's almost like she was just a little bit too popular uh, up front on television every day for them to go through with it. But these other people are not. Regardless of their stature, right. and there's a yeah, petition a out. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and there's yeah. and there's a petition out right now from coming from Hollywood about the filmmaker that you mentioned, you know, to directly to the uh, governor and to the president, you know, for for all the sake of petitions. But this is absurd, you know. And then, and I'm hoping, and I, I don't, I have to believe the ACLU is paying attention to this because this is right up their alley, uh, to where you can actually have good good attorneys going to a small town and going, wait a minute, that's not going to be allowed. Or, or getting some kind of an injunction, you know, because Derek, I mean, we, we know Derek. I, I, that, was, that was a colleague of mine, you know, worked with him like through the Solutions Institute for a number of years, and, and actually he's on yeah. where my colleague, you know, he's down in Houston broadcasting on the radio show. We have a show on that same, at that same station on, on public broadcasting. Derek's great. And, you know, he's up there in danger of getting arrested because he's covering something. You know, and, and he might not be a uh, wolf blitzer. Thanks, God help us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and, and I don't have any problem walking into a situation boots on the ground. You know, and and I'll stick my little press stuff around my neck. You know, my Atlanta Press Club and my National Press Club and Independent. I'll call you. Hey, 
We don't have to send me an interest thing, you know, whatever. Uh, but mm-hmm. they, they don't care. They they just don't care. I, I and this has been going on. You you talk about this worldwide. I know, uh, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, I know that uh, you have mentioned this before, and this also ties to the Obama administration's handling of whistleblowers. Because who do they go to? They go to the press. Right. I I just I, we have to fix it. I'm gonna get, I'm, you're in charge. I'm put you in charge. You're, you're, you're putting me in charge. We're going to follow you. From <laughs> <laughs> the journalist side, you, you're you in cut, charge. You cut off a little bit, so I, I, missed, I missed the question. But, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're on top of it. And I think that's why we need uh, an independent media revolution, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, we are seeing yeah. an unprecedented attack on journalists, on whistleblowers. But despite this being, you know, a crisis for journalists, and for journalism itself, this is also an opportunity for us to kind of create our own media platform. You know, I, I like right. to think whenever there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. And so this is an opportunity for us, the anti-war movement, the people who want, um, um, I can't even, my words are, in our time. are getting lost. We want um, accountability uh, to take place right. in our government within our, um, you know, corporate accountability as well. This is our time to speak up. You know, for a very long time, you know, I felt very helpless, like, you know, what, what can I do? And that's when I started Mint Press. And look where Mint Press has turned into today. You know, I, we went, I went from a very small blog. Now we're a global news organization. We have, you know, right. about 2 million readers per month. You know, you just, if you right. set your mind to it and your passion is there, why not make a change? Don't underestimate the power that we, the people, have. You know, it can start from a Facebook page, a Twitter page, it can start from a website. It can start from a podcast, right. a video blog, whatever it is. We have to start, uh, you know, taking back the media and creating our own new media. Actually, at the Product Center panel, at the Project Censored panel, we actually discussed how um, the leftist media has been co-opted by the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton movement, <laughs> and so we need to create an alternative. It, 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 it definitely has. So it. We need to create an alternative to the alternative media. And so that's what we're doing at Mint Press. That's what Abby Martin is doing um, with uh, the Empire Files. That's what a lot of other journalists are doing. Absolutely. And so this Mm -hmm. is our time to do it. And look how successful her show is. Look how successful, you know, behind the headline and Mint Press News has become. It's because Mm -hmm. people are so sick and tired of the mainstream media lies. They know they're being lied to. Now that we have Hillary Clinton emails, we have WikiLeaks to kind of testify to us and provide us with the proof and evidence that, hey, all of these, you know, conspiracies <laughs> that we've been, you know, talking about mm-hmm. for years, they're actually true. And so we have, yeah. you know, people like us who are bringing attention to that, and, and um, you know, the time is now for us to, to inform. You know, I have to tell you, uh, I, haven't, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this. I have talked to some other people in our, in our some, of, some of our colleagues, Justin King, Nick Barnaby, et cetera, uh, one of the things that I'm doing, uh, and I wanted to try and do this to launch before the election, but that's not going to happen. But I am do I am putting together a, a roundtable, a journalist roundtable show, and of course you are invited to be part of that. Mid Press News, let me Thank put it you. this way: Mid Press News is invited to be a part of that. Yeah, we're going to I'm going to run it at least once a week, and we're going to have we're going to talk about what's happening. We're going to report. We'll have our opinions. Well, there'll be an opinion part of the show, but we're going to tell people what's really going on. And and I absolutely want Men Press News and Behind the Headlines to be a part of it, you to be a part of it, your other journalists to be a part of it. And I've talked to other people of Eleanor, who you also know, who I know you have interviewed her. She's interviewed you, of course. Yeah, all, all these people that are doing good work, ideological aside, it's about facts, it's about reporting, and that's the thing that gets me more than anything is, is like you say, the left has been co-opted, the right, I'm tired, I want facts. I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes people say I'm the robot in the room, which I, I love it because I want to, anything that comes out of my mouth, I want to be truthful. You know, I don't want to tell you how to think. I want to tell you what's going on. You can figure out how to think, right? Isn't that how that works? But you're in charge. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious about that. I think, <laughs> I think, but, but in all seriousness, one of the things I love about you, Menar, is that you're positive. You know, that it's, it's <laughs> always forward, but it's true. It's always forward. I mean, you know, we, we have a, we're dealing with a lot. You're dealing with a lot. Yeah. You know, personally, it's uh, overwhelming. And, 
it really is, and, and it's always forward. And, and I have I have people that I work with that are, that are like that all the time too. And it's always great to talk to people like that. You know, like Brother Willis comes to mind. He's always positive regardless of, of the situation. You know, and 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 he's he's doing independent media, of course, with the Coffee Party, as you know that I'm I belong to as well. And and it is it is a pleasure to work with you and a pleasure to know you and, and always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I know you got to go and I'm going to use that as my closing. I thank you so much for coming on and we'll make sure everybody gets to hear this as well. Thank you so much for it, Bobby. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Now I'm from Midpress News. Check, check out Midpress News. If you don't already do it Midpressnews.org uh, on the web, uh, along with all the other alternative medias, uh, you know, uh, uh, I am fortunate to have the relationships I do with Ben Press and Antimedia and Fifth Column and Act Out and, and Empire Files and, and all the great people that I'm working with and Chris Hedges, et cetera. So it is important to stuff that we're talking about, and please do your due diligence and find out what is true and what isn't. And, you know, Use it to make your individual statement in society. I got to cover a couple of things. You know, normally my show runs two hours and we're right about an hour. And I want to make sure and cover some items uh, that have been going on the last few days or so that you may or may not know about that I felt that was important. One of the uh, particular things, and I'm actually going to go to my website, I take liberty with my coffee.com, and I'm going to pull up the article that I posted on there that actually the the first the media outlet that I saw reported this issue was the Los Angeles Times. And I know that some coffee party people both, uh, know about this because I posted it on our main page and then it was followed up by my colleague Janine Loudon who does lunch with Loudon on Thursdays, one Thursday a month. Thousands of California soldiers forced to repay enlistment bonuses a decade after going to war. Now, you may think that's hyperbole. You may think that's conspiracy. This is really going on, people. So I'm just going to give you a couple of short passages on this just to give you an idea of how messed up things are out there on the military-industrial complex and what we're doing to our veterans. Short of troops to fight in Iraq and Afghanistan a decade ago, the California National Guard enticed thousands of soldiers with bonuses of $15,000 or more to re-enlist and go to the war. The Pentagon is demanding that money back. Now, just that whole sentence right there, just, just realize, I'm, I'm a veteran, as you know. So what happens is, is you'll join, you know, obviously we're all volunteer force. So you join the United States military. In this particular case, it's the National California National Guard, a little different. I didn't join the National Guard. I joined the United States Navy. So what happens is at the end of your enlistment or not necessarily at the end. They may come to you sooner, depending upon what the situation is. And they will offer you a bonus to re-enlist. Now, you know, I, when I joined, I it was a six-year, it was four and two. And so let's say two years into my bit, they'll come to me and they'll say, we want you to re-enlist uh, and we were going to offer you this, this amount of money, this particular assignment, whatever that may be. That's how this works. So the California National Guard did that, and they they – Again, I just said short on people. So, but soldiers say, so investigators have determined that the lack of oversight allows for widespread fraud and mismanagement by California Guard officials under pressure to meet enlistment targets. Nearly 10,000 soldiers, many of whom serve multiple combat tours, have been ordered to repay large enlistment bonuses and slapped with interest charges, wage garnishments, and tax liens if they refuse. After audits revealed widespread overpayments by California Guard at the height of the war last decade, soldiers say the military is reneging on a 10-year-old agreement and imposing severe financial hardship on veterans whose only mistake was to accept bonuses offered when the Pentagon needed to fill the ranks. These bonuses were used to keep people in. This is from a gentleman named Christopher Van Meter, who's, who is quoted in, in the article, 42-year-old former Army captain and Iraq veteran from Mont- Mantisa, 
California, who says he refinanced his home mortgage to repay $25,000 in reenlistment bonuses and 21000 in student loan repayments that the Army said he should not have received. But they, 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 there's something wrong with this. I'm sorry. This, the, you know, about a year and a half ago, I started a hashtag specifically for my reasons, hashtag seeking justice. And this is a prime example of justice that, that needs to be served. You can't do this. You cannot do this. And then, you know, when you join the military, so this goes back to, you know, my oath arguments all the time. When I joined the military, I told the United States government, here's my life. You can do with it as you see fit, and I'll get it back when I'm done, essentially. Ben Meader, who was awarded the Purple Heart, which means he was injured after his vehicle detonated a buried roadside bomb. He's got to give his money back when he would have never went there in the first place unless they offered him this enlisted bonus, et cetera, for example. Susan Haley, a Los Angeles native and former Army Master Sergeant who deployed to Afghanistan in 2008, said she sends the Pentagon $650 a month, a quarter of her family's income, to pay down $20,500 in bonuses that the Guard says were given to her improperly. So, uh, you tell me, folks. Because if there's ever a situation, and there's so many of them in our society, where Justice would, and then when I hear the word taxing, it just uh, raises my legal, my legal professional flag because, of course, I work in the tax profession now full time as well. Is this is an example of something that just needs to be stopped? That you have to, I don't know, pardon it. You, you know, say sorry, we made a mistake, and we're just going to have to eat the money. Because you are affecting people's lives who gave you your their life, who gave the United States government their life. They put their life on the line, and all 10,000 of them, 10,000, I wouldn't care if it was one, to be honest with you. But Ted, this is something that has to stop. I, I am actually going to look into this myself to see who is doing something to stop it or what can be done or what can be filed. But this is absurd. And, and, and interesting is I know how this works. I mean, if you, if you are in the military, for example, and you get overpaid incorrectly, whatever paperwork they're doing or whatever computer glitch it is, you've got to get that money back. You know, you can't just all of a sudden get, you know, if you're an E5, get EA pay. But this is a little different. They actually came to a person and said, look, I'm going to give you this amount of money, X amount of money, whatever it is, 15000 20000 25000 doesn't matter. I'm going to give you this money if you re-enlist. So if you now have to pay it back, because they shouldn't have given it to you, well, then you have a cause of action. You are being damaged, and you have a invalid contract. So in my mind, the United States government owes you back for your enlistment because you would have, ne- you, you would have never done it in the first place without this particular enticement. That's not legal. That's not how this country works. or That's not how the law works. Forget how the country works. Now, obviously, a country works whatever way, but that's how the law works. And, you know, this is important. This is very important because, you know, we talk about, we were just talking a little while ago with Manal, of course, about foreign policy, about the military justice fund conflict, about, you know, how the Department of Defense pays the NFL to pump up our war effort, you know, and let's, you know, let's all support our, our military. Of course, you support the military, but you don't support the wars. You know, I support the people absolutely 100%. But I don't support this crap that the government's doing to, to, when you're in and when you're out. You know, of course, we know what's going on with the Veterans Administration and the, and the care, and then, you, and then it loops right back into cannabis because of the PTSD issue, which, which I've talked about so much on this show, where even in, in Colorado, for example, where it's legal if a soldier is, is having PTSD, something that they didn't even recognize in Vietnam, by the way, you know, just how absurd that is. You know how absurd our government is when it comes to this stuff. PTSD and, and and cannabis helps PTSD. That's documented. I'm sorry, that works. You know, talking about Christopher Lewandowski, I, I believe I said the name right. For example, the veteran who uh, just was uh, just uh, was in Oklahoma at a at a court hearing and having his plea removed so he can go to trial uh, and, and discuss medical necessity. For example, instead of taking all these horrible pills and these cocktails. You know, these, these, these chemical cocktails, they smoke marijuana and they don't have PTSD, you know, the PTSD is handled, and they can live a long life. Stop. So this is how we're treating our veterans. All these things that we're doing, this has got to stop. 
you know, and then, you know, I hope, I hope people that are listening, you know, will do something about it because you can't, you've you got to take a stance here. You know, there's so many things that are going on in our society that are just plain wrong. Let's be distracted by Donald Trump. You know, that, that's, just, that's just not where I want to be today, that's for sure. Speaking of cannabis, for those in Arizona, you know, there's a boycott of discount tire in Arizona, among other things. There is money being put on the opposite side of the, you know, there's a ballot, you know, to make marijuana uh, legal in Arizona. And there's all this money pouring in from the opposite side saying how bad it is, and Discount Tire has put over a million dollars in it. So now there's a movement to discount, to boycott Discount Tire. Discount tire. Totally, totally support that. want to make sure I mention it. Please learn about the issues. You know, as I said, I would prefer to tell you what the what's going on, and you can make up your own mind. You know where I stand. Prohibition is horrible. It should have never happened in the first place. It's documented. There's no reason for, for cannabis to be illegal in any way, shape, or form. It actually should just be decriminalized. Forget the regulations. People want to use it. You know, it has more medicinal properties than Rolaids, and Rolaids is sold over the counter. You know, and, and the United States government has two medical patents for cannabis, too. Look it up. Like I say, I'm telling you the facts. You look it up, decide to do what you want to do with it. In Arizona, this money is pouring in from the other side, so now there's a movement to boycott discount tire. Totally support it. I totally support it. I hope you will, too. Please learn about it. Jump right in. Talk about it. Let it be known. Spread the word. Please do. Please do. I'm going to cut it there right there. I'm going to take care of a little bit of business, and I'm going to get out of here. It's Monday afternoon. i got some other things i got to do. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so happy to have Menor Mahamas on the show. Absolutely great discussion that we have with her. I hope if you didn't catch the beginning of it, you go back, check it out on iTunes. Uh, my show is a podcast on iTunes. You can listen to it all the time. It's on Blog Talk Radio. It doesn't go anywhere. We archive the stuff. It stays around. Check it out. Check out the conversation that we have with Menor. On Tuesdays, we have a Muslim and a Catholic wake up in America. Issa Hodge, Common Cow, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Wednesday, a cup of Joe, the Human Solution International, who actually physically were present in Oklahoma supporting Christopher Lewandowski. Fantastic people. A cup of Joe every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 Pacific. Fantastic show, talking about pro- pro- prohibition. And other human rights issues, they also have a fantastic prisoner outreach program that goes on both for reentering society as well as making sure what's going on behind the walls and making sure our citizens, our fellow Americans, are being treated properly and lawfully. Thursday, we have four shows, one each week, Living Room Conversations twice a week, the second and fourth Thursdays of the month. We have a, The Conscious Bridge with Mark Gilbert, the great Mark Gilbert, my colleague at the coffee party. And then my other colleague at the coffee party is Janine Loudon with Lunch with Loudon. All of these shows, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, every Thursday. Friday, the weekly constitutional. Stuart Harris from from James Madison coming to you Thursday afternoon, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific Time, Saturday. Alberto Willie's Politics Done Right, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. 10 o'clock Pacific time, right here, Saturday afternoon. And in my show, I take liberty with my coffee every Sunday morning at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific, coming at you, Coffee Party Radio, all the time. Stand by, independent journalists. Keep an eye on what's going on in North Dakota, Washington, Iowa, with the pipeline situation. Climate change is real, period. Don't want to hear it. Don't come to me with it's not real. Don't want to hear it. Jeff, that's to you. Remember, Jeff? I, I got you. We're going to talk about it. That's, I'm, I'm yelling at you about that. Everybody be safe. Have a fantastic week. I'll be seeing you Sunday. Bobby Rodrigo, I take Louie with my coffee. I'm out. Thanks for joining me.